0: Before we get started on this podcast, we wanted to let you know that it deals with subject matter that is very personal in nature. It might trigger strong feelings for some listeners as we cover topics like depression, suicide, and family. We'll share links and resources if you need help. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Are you where are you going many of us have something inside of us that's a mask or a facade that prevents us being the person we want to be and how does that play out in the business world can you still be yourself and be successful hello i'm philip brown
0: and i'm stephanie panu and this is ps talks co-op the podcast and talk show for management co-op students at u of t scarborough
2: I've been in Japan for about one year. My Japanese learning is kind of slowly but surely evolving. There is some growth mindset piece there that needs to happen because I think there's some like internalized language kind of growing up, kind of lived in different countries. Language has always been an interesting part of my life.
3: That's all talking. Faral graduated from the management co-op program in 2013. Philip Brown was Farall's co-op advisor.
1: Let's go back a little bit. What's some of your your memories and maybe some of the your fondest memories of the campus and your experiences that so you can think back into those early days at uh, UTSC?
2: Yeah, I, I think my first few years at UTSC was just like study, study, study. What do you remember from our first meeting? Because my memory is a little spotty.
1: I do remember talking about relaxing a whole bunch I'm not going to say that you were uptight, but you really wanted to follow a process. And I remember, <laughs> I, if I could be really honest, I always felt there was an inner quality that was not coming through. But I remember one thing you
2: said, it was around a uh, Rubik's cube. So like for all, you can't think of yourself as like this one dimensional person that's going to show up in one way all the time, um, think of yourself as a Rubik's cube. There's like different faces on a Rubik's cube, but it's the same cube. So just like find ways to like show yourself in different situations by showing different faces of the cube. There's still, still all part of you, but it's kind of knowing what a situation calls for. And I don't know if you still give that advice, Philip,
1: or? Not only do I give that advice, the cube is still in the office the The cube is still in the office (laughs) office. I'm not sure if I use it as much but the cube still sits there and come see the cube it's still there but that brings us to an interesting point about different sides to your personality and different sides to who you are you know there are some good memories back at UTSC but it was up and down too
2: yeah I think uh I come from a, I'm going to say conservative Muslim family, but to be honest, I don't think as a family, we consider ourselves conservative because relatively there are people way more conservative than us. So we're like, we're in the middle of the road. Come on. We're not like super conservative. But I think in comparison with, let's say the rest of Toronto, I would say we fall probably in the conservative leaning. So given that a lot of what you show to other people it had to be perfect in some way shape or form like because it reflects badly on like yourself it reflects badly on the family it reflects badly on parents or your brother or whoever so then every interaction and every single like way that you show up in a space or the way you show up as a person needed to be like perfect so it's like always the standard all the time so that I found incredibly draining especially during my time at UTSC there were times I think there were literally weeks or days that I wouldn't speak to anyone maybe just the coffee person at Tim Hortons to say I want to double double (laughs) that's it I wouldn't say a word to anybody, because I wouldn't want to talk to anybody, because of just this pressure of like, oh, I feel like people can, can see through me. And uh, I think what I'm showing up as today is very masculine and have my very masculine voice. But at the time, I actually presented as uh, feminine. So I was actually assigned female at birth. So from there, a lot of my life experiences and around my family wanting things to be perfect meant that when I would engage in masculine behaviors, that they would be corrected as feminine behaviors uh, repeatedly over and over. So then that kind of translated into relationships as well and building friendships where I would always like kind of be on guard for building relationships or friendships because I would have the internalized impression that they would not like me for who I am because anytime I would bring my real self out, it would always be corrected as this is not your real self, it needs to be this. (laughs) Given that, it was incredibly isolating. At the time, the LGBTQ presence on campus was very muted or like (laughs) not visible or not tolerated per se. I think they had just started the um, safe space stickers, I believe at that time. I would walk by, I think the Bladen Wing It would always be this LGBTQ center and I would look at it and be like, oh, like, I don't know what these people are about or like, because I didn't know that I was actually part of the group. So I was like, what are these people about? Like, you know, when I talked to this person, they said, actually, this board outside of the corridor had been burned down once um, because people weren't accepting or basically wanted to send a message, essentially, a
1: homophobic message. And, and those are painful periods because, you know, you're trying to discover, if I'm hearing you correctly, and you appreciate you're trying to discover who you are. It, I think it's difficult being young, period, mm. let alone in a space where you're fighting so many cultural norms and other people's impressions of who you should be. It's hard. And the university in and of itself was still growing as a university, still trying to understand, still trying to unpack these things. We went from tolerating to trying to welcome. Hopefully, the university is at a point where it's more about belonging, where it's more about you belong here. And that's something that I know personally has been a journey for from, from me. But you're going through all this stuff and you're still trying to get a job. You're, you're, yeah. you're still trying to do all these things. And that's a lot of pressure. You know, I, mean, I think many of the students out there might feel the same way that, that pressure to be something. How do you think that manifested in some of your career choices and manifested in just how you presented yourself to other people? You told us a little bit that you were guarded. You worked at a telecommunications company and you worked at one of the largest banks in Canada, huge successful organizations, very stratified. Tell us a little bit about how you, you know, you operate in that space. Those specific
2: experiences definitely shaped me as a working professional as I am today. There were some difficult working relationships that I had to navigate. I would say I was not really great at navigating at least uh, conflict or, you know, I would say taking direction as well because I would sometimes want to do what I wanted to like kind of look into. And I think it was very hard to like just take direction from someone without questioning. That culture was very difficult for me to get adjusted. So knowing that I've lived through that experience, I now have something that if I am joining a new company or if I'm learning to work with another organization, I now know what that feeling is. So if I ever feel it again, I know it's an indicator that something needs to change, whether it be my workplace or like how I show up at work or any of that. So it's a very, very good learning experience in that regard.
0: What I find really interesting about all of that is, you know, a lot of our students, they come into management co-op, they think, okay, co-op is going to give me like these technical experiences, I'm going to learn all of this on the job, but the benefit as well is also learning what you don't want. It's more about learning how you fit into the workplace too, not just, you know, what skills can I take from it.
2: The company really benefits having a co-op around. I think people tend to underestimate that. Like there maybe as a co-op student at the time, I was also under the same impression that what does the company get out of this? But in terms of knowing what the next generation of employees, like what are their values? What are their um, approaches to work? What are their unique kind of skill sets? I think employers that know that this is basically going to be the set of people that will replace the company, like they're able to see that far ahead, they invest more in these programs to make sure that they get an understanding of like the future generation and how the future generation of leaders can lead the company.
0: You mean to tell me that it's a strategic decision having a co-op student and it's not just, okay, they're going to do a few of these little things and it might not really progress the company much or anything, but no, it really is. It's part of something bigger.
2: 100%. I would say employers that recognize that tend to ask co-op students for their ideas. They ask like. What is it that you're learning in school that we can apply here? What they can use in order to progress their company forward, even those small, small ideas. I think employers that really focus on that continuous improvement piece are the employers that will essentially be always ahead of their competitors.
1: And I love the way you talked about leadership. You talked about certain leadership drove this culture, certain leadership drove that culture. You're a leader in in many of the other roles that you've done post-graduation. Let's talk about the secret sauce. I mean, first, as a leader, what do you do that other leaders don't do?
2: There's like different ways that I can answer that because the personal and the professional, I think culturally in North America, it tends to be very like separate the two. So personally, I think the end of like the university term, it was a very difficult period. I think there was a lot around um, pressures of like getting married, which, you know, as someone who is like presenting masculine and is also not attracted to men, like it was kind of like a difficult situation for me to express to my parents that. I don't want to get married after after uh, graduation, but it's kind of like that perfect story, right? Like, you know, yeah. you, you're born, you went through school, you got the best grades, you are now, let's say working somewhere and like you get married, you have children and you lived a great life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that template is like, when you're not fitting it, it's like, what's wrong with you kind of thing. So that's that's the impression that that leaves. So, very very miserable um, knowing that there's all this other stuff going on inside so the only option that really made sense to me like even the options around let's say leaving my family and like going somewhere else i couldn't consider that an option because my support system was essentially my family so there was nobody else (laughs) there was no friends the only option i kind of made for myself was like committing suicide and that was kind of suicide ideation and planning essentially. So at that point, I started seeing a clinical counselor and I wasn't able to disclose everything that was going on for me. And I think there Mm. were some things that they saw that I didn't see. I was starting to like feel this pressure of like graduation. One of the professionals there made a call, made an interruption to that decision making and kind of really, really encouraged me to tell my dad about my depression, not necessarily about any of the gender identity or sexuality piece, but specifically about depression and how it's creating uh, suicidal thoughts. When they were really like encouraging me to do that, I was really against it, Um, but they kind of kept encouraging me to the point that I was like, okay, let's try it. I don't know. I think it's a really bad idea. I don't think he's gonna react well so they did disclose depression to my father and specifically how the pressure of marriage was creating that depression my father was incredibly upset about that and so he kind of really really decided to like delay like any marriage plans <laughs> and just like create space but i think even with that like my depression continued it just felt like my plan failed So yeah, like that kind of created this one year of like even more worse depression that I had when I was in university. And then from there, the other professionals that I ended up seeing outside of UTSC, like helped me form more options to like create additional space between myself and my family. So yeah, and that gave me more of a idea or a way of like really discovering myself, like what my identity is, what my sexuality is. And how that plays into like how I show up as a person in any room, that self-working piece amongst like all of that was a support system in some way, shape or form, whether it be a set of professionals or professionally, I think what really helped me develop my career was the mentorship uh, relationships that I built. Even at work, there were people who were out. Um, even my manager at the time was like out as well. I'm like, you know, I think I might be like queer. And then it's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) It's like, but but I didn't know, how do you know? It's like, it was so obvious. It's like for my parents, it was very difficult because they're like, why is this person behaving this way? Because like not being exposed to people who are queer in a way that's like part of the family. And so they just kind of misidentified it. So that piece had to be solved before any of the professional piece. Because if there's no personal piece, there is no professional piece because it's one and the same person, right?
1: I love that story. And I so appreciate you sharing it because the pieces to that story that really ring true to me is the oneness right? It's the oneness. We love to separate and put this in this compartment and I'm going to put this in this box and no one's going to know what's in this box, but really there's a oneness that that comes through. And if we're going to actualize ourselves, both personally and professionally, it's that oneness that brings us through.
2: All of this I'm talking about very nonchalantly, like, oh yeah, this is in the past. (laughs) And then like recalling it very easily. Uh, now like that was like years of therapy and years of uh, self-work so I think I know myself better now but to be honest I don't think there are things that I still understand about myself Now I will continue to start trying and unravel that a little bit more the other like branching off advice to that is getting feedback now I think people get scared when they hear that there's like feedback means like hey Philip I have some feedback for you Like already, like it sounds like a a serious conversation about like when we say feedback, it needs to be a little bit more clear of what we're really asking for. Whether it's using the word feedback, that's up to the person. But say, hey, like there's an observation I would like to share with you. And this is kind of the impression that observation had on me. With feedback, the other piece is not all feedback is valid feedback. so. Like my parents were consistently giving me feedback and pretty like direct feedback is like, hey, you're not feminine enough. You're not feminine enough. You're not feminine enough. So it's like, but does that really align with your goals and your identity? So when you're seeking out feedback, just be clear on what you're looking for. It's like, hey, is there anything you've noticed about me where I bring value in certain situations? Or what have you noticed about me where I light up when I do this thing? By asking these questions, I think you'll help get some data points from different perspectives and you'll get an idea of what your key strengths really are. I think people don't tend to have a lot of those conversations, both professionally and personally, because they're scary conversations initially to have. But I think if you frame it in a way that's advantageous to you to like, this is gonna be a key learning for me, it's about how I'm showing up and what people are noticing. That way, you know, If there are things that you enjoy doing and people noticed it, just do more of that. You don't have to worry about the other stuff. I think that really helps people value those things about you and find ways to mitigate things that aren't going well or your weaknesses in that sense of like, okay, if this is what you do really, really well, how can we help you in areas you're not doing really, really well? Like, how can we bridge those gaps so that you're spending more time doing this?
1: That was so interesting. There's a lot of great information that I'm going to take with me too. And we're sort of touching upon your some of your many careers, but one of the things that you did is project management, but you're a scrum master. I don't know if our students know what a scrum master is. They probably have a vision of what a scrum master is in their brain. Maybe you can unpack that scrum master role because... I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Pharrell, that we do not have a program called Scrum Master at UTSC <laughs> yet. And But what does a Scrum Master do? I'm really interested.
2: Yeah, I think this will be the first time many people hear even that term. Basically, in software development, there's a role of uh, Scrum Master. It's essentially um, a way of working that was developed 20 years ago under the umbrella Agile. So Agile, like simply put, is... The word continuous improvement. It's kind of ways that we value certain things over others. So, for example, like valuing customer interaction over like contract driven like interactions. So, instead of saying, hey, this is what we agreed to in the contract, so that's what we're going to deliver, regardless of if your needs or circumstances have changed, but instead really negotiating with the customer, okay. Let's have a flexible contract where every two weeks we check in on whether this is actually adding value to you as a customer. Things like that help us adapt better to our circumstances in complex environments. So in a complex environment, a lot of the things that you try and you do won't always have predictable results, but you will see patterns pop up. So scrum master, so if we're to pivot back to that, so that role was born out of a framework called scrum, but essentially it's one of three roles. So there's a product owner role, scrum master role, and a development team member role. So those three roles work together in a certain process, which those processes have checks and balances to help them know if their product is adding value to the customer, but also help them know the way that they're working is actually the best way of working. From a Scrum Master perspective, we're focused on, are we getting better as a team? So are we becoming more autonomous? Are we getting more, are we communicating well with each other? Do we know the strengths and weaknesses of each team member and how to leverage them well? So it's a very people-driven, people-oriented
1: role. In a nutshell, that's almost the way I see the idea of testing And making improvements as we go along.
0: A lot of our students you know they think that you have to go a certain way and you have to be a certain person and I just want to say thank you for providing our students different perspectives on how you can be successful in the workplace but also finding personal paths and just that they both intersect.
1: If you're looking at success you know some people can divide it as like there's three components to it right. Would people miss you? If you're not there, <laughs> like it could be defined in many ways. Will they miss you if you're not there? Have you done something substantial that somebody else probably couldn't do, right? Like they couldn't do the same way. And do you leave something better than how you found it? I listen to you here and it, it, I feel the better for this conversation. And I hope our listeners feel the same way. But for all, I wanna thank you so much. I'm Philip Brown.
0: I'm Stephanie Pano. Thanks for listening.
3: This episode of PS Talks Co-op was produced and edited by me, Kendall Egley. Special thanks to the entire Management Co-op department and especially to Philip Brown, Stephanie Panu, and Faral Rizvi. Okay, students. Showing up as your true self can be hard. If you're struggling with any of the topics we've covered in this episode, remember that you are not alone. The University of Toronto will connect you with the support you need. Go to uoft.me slash support dash links. That's uoft.me slash support dash links. We are here to help, and we believe in you.